Good morning, folks. This is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is episode 89 of the Jesus Society Podcast, and I am sitting here drinking coffee, as usual, as is my way. Uh, and it is a it is a beautiful day in uh, southern Middle Tennessee. It is still warmer than I than I want, but it is not as warm as it was uh, a week or so ago. We had uh, it was really really hot um, last week and the week before. We had heat index values up into the one ten to one fifteen range, which. Um, my friends in Texas are probably laughing a little at that because they had actual temperatures that were over 100 degrees. Um, and uh, I understand that. But we had the humidity, so I think we still win or lose, depending on how you view that. But uh, we had uh, we actually had to, uh, our air conditioner went on the fritz last week, which was not a good time for air conditioning to go out when you're having that kind of weather. But it did, and we were forced to, get that fixed and that was a $1,600 bill so um, that hurt um, but um, things are working again and um, we are it is cooler at least in the house and it's a, it's cooler outside too so I, I have said many times that I am fine with summer until the 4th of July and then I'm uh, then I'm very much ready for fall so we are we are now considerably past the 4th of July, so I am absolutely ready for fall. Um, and uh, it's not here yet, but um, I can look ahead with hope. So um, today, uh, we, we finished up our, our series last week on following Jesus in the 21st century. I'm going to do something um, for the next three weeks. This is just going to be a short little thing. But I want to I want to talk briefly, mostly just to kind of sort of set down what I believe about this. Uh, for the next three weeks, I want to talk about what happens after we die. Now, honestly, I don't think this is the most important stuff for us to think about. Um, um, I, I do find that life after death tends to occupy an inordinately large piece. Um, in the, the thinking of most Christians. Uh, in fact, I don't think it's a stretch to say that most Christian mission tends to be largely focused on making sure someone goes to heaven when they die. And um, I, I think personally that a Christianity focused solely on what happens after death is kind of a misguided focus. Um, I heard someone say years ago, and I, I don't know who said this, this is one of those preacher things that probably everybody said but I heard somebody say that most of us are so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. And we kind of chuckle at that um, as we do a lot of, you know, clever turn of phrases, turns of phrases, turns, turn, turn of phrase, turns, I don't know. But I do think there's actually some, some truth to it. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, after all, Jesus taught us to pray that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is as heaven in heaven. So Jesus' focus there is clearly and primarily on what happens here on earth and far less so on what's going on in heaven. But we're not going to get bogged down in that today because I've talked about 
some of that before, and uh, I'm going to say a little bit more about some of that next week. <clears throat> but today, um, there are some things that we can and should say about um, what happens after death as Christians. And so we're going to spend the, the next few weeks kind of sorting through some of those ideas. Um, in particular, just to give you an idea where we're going with this, um, today um, I want to talk about the idea of purgatory. Um, and um, a lot because a lot of Christians um, have that as part of their background, and thinking, and we're going to address that first, mostly because I just want to get it out of the way. I think we need to address it because it's out there, and for certain uh, certain stripes of Christians, that's a part of their background and thinking. Um, but I think for most of us, um, there are a couple other pieces to this that are that are more significant. So we're gonna we're gonna address purgatory today. We're gonna kind of get it out of the way. Um, and next week, uh, I want to talk about a word that we don't talk nearly enough about, and that's the word paradise. And then finally, uh, the week after that, we're going to do a deep dive, and we'll have to roll up our theological sleeves on this. Um, we're going to talk about hell, okay? So we'll have to gird up our loins um, for that. I do think it is important that we get our thinking straight on all this, at least so we can spend less time worrying about what happens after death and start paying a little more attention to what we do before death. Okay, so um, let's roll up our theological sleeves here and see if we can start to demystify um, some of this, at least the part that deals with purgatory. So hang on and um, we'll get right into that. Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about purgatory. Um, if you're a Protestant, and I am assuming that most of us um, uh, listening, most of the people that listen to this podcast are Protestants, I don't know that that's true. Um, I would be delighted to find out that there are some non-Protestants, some Catholics, uh, listening to this. I, I am, I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm not at the point, uh, let me say it this way. I am at the point in my thinking and theological development that if you want to have an argument about which denominations have have got it right and which have got it wrong, I'm going to come down solidly on the on the platform of we all have blind spots in our thinking. We all have um, things that we could stand to rethink. We've 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 all made mistakes theologically. We all have some kind of bizarre points to our doctrine, um, so I am not nearly as parochial in in my denominational loyalties as I as I once was. Uh, I think I think Jesus is my Lord, and I think the Bible is His Word, and I think if we can rally around following Jesus and trusting the Bible. Um, even in the areas in which we disagree about what it's saying, I think we can be unified uh, um, far more so than we have been. So, uh, so I'm not this. I'm not. I don't. I don't tend to bang up on um, on denominations as much as I used to because 
the more I've gotten to know about the different denominations and the more I've met people from those different denominations, um, I think I think there are really strong, vibrant, loving, mature Christians in almost all of them. And I think there are some weak, unformed, poorly formed Christians in almost all of them. So there you go. So that was a that was a rabbit trail there a little bit. Um, so purgatory, back to purgatory. <clears throat> Let me try to steer this thing back in the right lane. If you're a Protestant, purgatory is probably not something that you've thought much about. Um, uh, it's probably possible that for some of you who are Protestants, you may have never even heard of purgatory. Um, purgatory is largely a Roman Catholic doctrine. And honestly, purgatory just wasn't a concept that anyone thought much about in the early church. Um, it, it is certainly hard to find anything remotely um, resembling purgatory in the writings of Jews or Christians either of the first century. And that includes scripture. It includes extra biblical things. In fact, the primary fleshing out and the primary statements about purgatory come from two sources, Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century and Dante uh, in the early 14th century, both of them Italians. Um, so it really, it's, it's just true that it really wasn't until the 1200s or 1300s that purgatory started to become a thing. But because of uh, Thomas Aquinas, because probably most of all because of Dante, um, the idea of purgatory became woven deeply into the psyche of just about everybody in that period. And the Christians of that period spent a lot of mental effort developing a picture of purgatory and then rearranging Christianity around that picture. Now, the, the basic idea um, behind the concept of purgatory is that m most Christians remain sinful in some measure right up to the point of death. And, and I think probably most of us would agree with that, right? Um, we, we all, we, we're not sinless anywhere on this earth. And even at the point of death, hopefully we, we get a little less so the, the more we mature in Christ and the more Jesus um, lives in us uh, more fully um, and uh, has reformed our character and our, and our virtue a little bit. Um, but even, even at a very old age, we, we still have some things in us that are not totally in line with, with Jesus. Therefore, so the, so the idea goes, um, Christians still need a little bit of punishment or, or purging. And, and that's where the, where the name purgatory comes from. It it's, comes from the Latin word for, uh, I think it's la purga, I think. Not sure about that. But it's the idea of purging, right? Um, even after death, um, before they're ready for eternal bliss, they need some some level of punishment and or purging, okay? And so that's kind of the point of purgatory. It's a place where we go um, to be purged of our remaining sinfulness so that we'll be ready for, um, for heaven in the presence of God himself, okay? And depending on which variety of, of purgatory you subscribe to, and there's a, there's a few different ways this is fleshed out depending on which group you're talking about. 
Uh, and depending on which variety of purgatory you subscribe to, that could include just Christians, or it could actually include Christians and non-Christians. And the idea there is that after a period of purgatory, uh, perhaps even non-Christians will decide to repent and turn to Jesus. And, and I'll just note that with the increasing popularity of universalism among Christians in the last hundred years, that view has grown um, a, a little bit, even among some Protestants. Okay, But either way, some version of that picture of things and the teaching that goes with it still forms the staple diet of a large part of the Roman Catholic Church and others who've adopted that, okay? Now, having said that, it is very, very interesting that in the last 50 years or so, two of the most influential and conservative Roman Catholic scholars have significantly walked back from that picture. Uh, the first was Karl Rahner, or Rainer. I, th I think it's Rainer, actually, R-A-H-N-E-R. -E um, he died in 1984. He was a German Jesuit priest and theologian who is considered to be one of the most influential Roman Catholic theologians of the 20th century. He kind of backpedaled from the idea of purgatory. Um the second, and this one is nothing short of amazing, I think, was uh, a guy by the name of Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. And even if you're not a Catholic, you might find that name familiar. And the reason you might find that name familiar is because in 2005, Ratzinger became Pope Benedict XVI. And he remained Pope from 2005 to 2013 when he stepped down um, and retired from the papacy. Incidentally, um, according to my information, which someone could critique this part and I would be fine with, um, but according to my information, he was the first Pope to retire from the office in nearly 600 years of Catholic history. Um, Ratzinger is still um, alive um, here in July 2022, um, he's 95 years old um, at this at the time that I'm recording this. Anyway, Ratzinger argued um, strenuously from 1 Corinthians 3 that the Lord himself is the fire of judgment and he will transform us as he conforms us to his glorious resurrected body. And that will happen not during some long, drawn-out process of purgatory, but in the moment of final judgment itself. That was basically his, his position. And the, and, and the point is not for us to get all bogged down in, in, in this, but simply to point out that two of the most important and conservative Roman Catholic theologians of the last generation offered a pretty radical step back from the old medieval idea of purgatory. So, with that kind of background of what purgatory is and where it came from and that, that stuff, let me, let me say just a couple of things as definitively as I, as I can um, about purgatory. And this is going to be a relatively short podcast today. Um, and But I, I just want to say a couple of things. First, 
because I think there's a couple of significant points to purgatory that we really need to address. Okay, so the first is this. There is no reason in the New Testament to think that there are any category distinctions between different Christians after this life as they await the resurrection. Okay, throughout the New Testament, Christians are repeatedly referred to as saints. Okay, saints. Um, and if you're if you're Catholic, you, you know that it's sometimes um, what sometimes happened in the, in the Catholic Church and and probably in some other churches too. Definitely some other churches is um, certain people after a long life of service uh, to God and usually after death they are they are granted sainthood as though it were a, a, a special thing. But if you read the New Testament, as I advocate, we all do. Christians, all Christians, are repeatedly referred to as saints in this life. Holy ones, that's the, that's the, the, the meaning of the word translated saints, right? Holy ones. And that is true even of the confused and sin-riddled Corinthians. If you read First and Second Corinthians, this is, a, this is a group of Christians that are struggling with a lot of stuff. There's incest going on there and all kinds of stuff. And yet Paul still calls them saints, holy ones, okay? They're, they're not, it's not because they've got it all together, but it's because Jesus has made them holy. That's, that's a central tenet of Christianity, okay? Um, when Paul in Philippians 1.23 says that his desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, He's not at all suggesting that he is going to be with Christ after death while other less accomplished Christians will have some sort of intermediate waiting period. That's not, the, that's not what he's saying there at all. Okay, The only passage in the New Testament that seems to make any kind of distinction between Christians after death is 1 Corinthians 3. And that's the same passage that Cardinal Ratzinger Pope Benedict the Sixteenth argued does not support purgatory, but that passage in First Corinthians three talks about Christians who who build with gold, silver, costly stones, and others who build with wood, hay, and straw. But even there, if you read it carefully, Paul does not say that one group is going to go to heaven and the other group is going to have to do time in purgatory. Instead, it seems clear that both groups will be saved. And the same destination awaits both. The context there of that passage, and you can read it, and I, should, and I urge you to do so. The context there, Paul's talking about the work that we do in this life, building for the kingdom of God. Okay, And he says that the work of some Christians will last and survive into God's new creation, while the work of others will not last. Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, this is a hard passage, and we're not going to spend time just really going into the nitty-gritty of all that here today. We need to take time and we need to think and study through this passage deeply and prayerfully. But again, 
Even former Pope Benedict has acknowledged that that doesn't indicate a different status or destination for one category of Christians versus another. Okay? We should also remember that there are, there are so many places in the New Testament that talk about the greatest becoming the least and the least becoming the greatest that we should just, as a general stance, we should be very, very, very careful about suggesting that there are categories of Christians who will occupy a higher place in the afterlife than others. If we're going to be true to the Bible and the spirit of what Jesus came to do and what he absolutely showed us in his life during his earthly ministry, if we're going to be true to all that, we just have got to believe that all Christians, both living and dead, are to be thought of as saints and equal in the eyes of God. So that's the first thing I want to say about this. The second thing that I want to say as, as clearly as I can articulate this is this. Let's, let's not miss the fact that the very idea of purgatory is totally contradicted, put to death, and buried by Paul himself in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, he starts off in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 by saying that there is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So, so if there is no condemnation at all for the Christian, even in this life, why on earth would there be need for any kind of punishment or purging after this life? Right? That, that just doesn't make sense. And if that verse weren't enough, Paul concludes this magnificent chapter, Romans chapter 8, by saying this. This is Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. So how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God, after all, is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So then, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says that. So based on all of that, let me say unequivocally that I do not believe in purgatory in any way. It was a late medieval Western concept that would have been totally foreign to Jesus and to the earliest Christian communities. The fact is that death itself is what gets rid of everything in us that is still sinful. 
And that's not magic. That's just good theology. The bottom line is that after death, there just isn't anything left to purge. So, as my mother used to say, and, and I'm, I'm probably, I know I'm probably being a little snarky by saying this, but hey, it's, it's my podcast and I, I can't resist. <laughs> as my mother used to say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> and with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. As always, we would appreciate it if you'd tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please uh, subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere fine podcasts are found. Um, please check out our website, um, thejesussociety.com. Uh, you can find us on YouTube and Odyssey. And if you search for us on either of those places, you'll find us. If you'd like to support our show and the related ministry that we have here in Southern Middle Tennessee, you can click on the support TJS link on the Jesus Society website to find out how to do that. And there's links to all this uh, in the show notes for today. Thank you for listening. And remember, you are greatly loved.